0: Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our
1: community.
2: Good morning, I'm Amy Roundtree. My husband, Art, and I, and our sons are members here at the Vine. And we're gonna be reading from Acts 7, if y'all would get your Bibles out. And we're gonna read the whole thing. It's eight minutes, but- Good to know that ahead of time. <laughs> so, Acts 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred. And go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and inflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Sheshem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Sheshem. But as the time of promise grew near as they were quarreling, and he tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he grew near to look, there came a voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses who they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet, like me, from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but they thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. And this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to their worship, the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of prophets. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon." Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the Righteous One, who you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened And when he had said this, he fell asleep.
0: Amen. Thank you, Amy. So as we look at this context of this passage, back in Acts 6, we saw last week that the Jewish ruling party, which was called the Sanhedrin, had brought Stephen into their midst. And there he, as one of the first deacons, is charged really with blasphemy. And you remember from Garrison's good sermon that last week the Sanhedrin were made up of two different parties. The Sadducees, who were responsible, kind of reported to Rome and were responsible to keep peace and to keep no riots of the Jewish people. And then the Pharisees, who were kind of the, as Garrison said, the populist party. And they were there to teach them the law and to kind of be for the Jewish people on their side. And here in their midst, these two groups called the Sanhedrin are angry and raging and charging Stephen with blasphemy. Well, we saw in Acts 6-3 that Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, And that he was preaching God's word. And he was doing great signs in Acts 6, verse 8. And again, these religious people were just incensed by this. But Stephen gave this rather long account, this history, verses 1 through 50 of chapter 7, to recount how from Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, all the way through their history, they all pointed to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And so, uh, boldly and calmly, Stephen charges these Sanhedrin with killing the Messiah, Jesus. Imagine saying this to people that you know, hey, they could take my life. Verse 51, he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your father not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Hey, Stephen really didn't have a problem with people pleasing, right? You know, today uh, we're gonna be seeing how the Sanhedrin and their response to Stephen's spirit-led sermon, and we're gonna be looking especially at verses 54 through 60, where Stephen again boldly proclaims that all the Old Testament is proclaiming that Jesus is the fulfillment, And the rescuer of his people. And for that, verse 58, we see they stoned him to death. So Stephen, knowing that this this message was extremely unpopular. And he knew his audience had the power to actually both beat him and kill him. But he continued to the very end of his life to boldly proclaim Jesus and him alone. How does that happen? How is he not afraid of these these circumstances and consequences that he may face? Here in this passage, we're going to see this, that that like Stephen, we are to look to Jesus in suffering and in death. So, So let's dig back into our passage. And we see that back in Acts... Acts 2, Peter preaches this message, right? And 3,000 people receive Jesus. But here in Acts 7, Stephen preaches a similar sermon. And and he's stoned to death for it by the Jewish leaders. But the question here of this passage I want to ask beginning is this, is are you looking to Jesus in your heart? You know, uh, Religion is controlled by the flesh. And we see this in verse 54. It tells us that the Sanhedrin were enraged and they literally ground their teeth at him. Now to grind your teeth, this this was like what a pack of wolves would do before they're ready to snick snackity eat their prey. It was more than, hey, I'm just a little upset with you. They detested Jesus and his good news. Why? Because they were not looking to Jesus and his work and they were relying on their own work and they fit scripture into their own religious system. For example, they didn't fully impact, realize the, how, how bad their sin really was. You know, sin impacts every person. We know that from Scripture. And the Old Testament, as well as the New, teaches that we're not just wounded by our sin. We are all spiritually dead due to our sins. And they were unwilling to see what the Bible taught about the Old, the Old Testament clearly, and especially in, like in Psalm 53, verse 3, that says, There is none who does good. Not even one. These religious leaders, they, they thought they were made acceptable to God by their good works. Or, or said another way, they built their life around something they could do rather than what, relying on what God had done for them, his free undeserved work. They failed to see that they could not spiritually pull themselves up by their own bootstraps or their efforts you know, um, and we're quick to point that out about others, or maybe other religions. But here's the reality. We all struggle with this. We may not respond like Stephen did to the Sanhedrin, but it's easy for us to think that my works are required for God to be satisfied with me. For example... How many times have you thought, hey, I've got to do better in my life. I've got to work harder. Or you look at others around you and you say, man, I will never, I will never get to their standard of goodness. They are so good. Look at all they do. Either way, we fall into this mindset of relying on our own works. And we do this in ways like when we raise our children and we keep thinking, how, you know, how special my children are compared to these children. Or we think, hey, my kids, my kids are really bad. Or we hesitate to share the gospel because we don't have just the right words. And so we rationalize and don't share. You see, all of these things at some level are believing that somehow it is my works that satisfy God and not God in his work that satisfies himself. You see, religion is controlled by the flesh. It's your effort. It's your ability. It's your measuring up. We also see here that Christians are controlled by the spirit stephen in his heart looked to jesus and by faith and welcomed the holy spirit's control remember G- stephen is jewish and he's just as zealous as the sanhedrin and yet his heart was different he knew his sin and he knew his need for god's work to save him acts 7:55 says but he full of the holy spirit You know, to to be full of the Holy Spirit is not a kind of mark of higher spirituality. It's not a badge you win by your performance or efforts. Being full of the Holy Spirit is God's work to fill you with himself. When God the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, the Bible teaches us that he alone is, can give us that peace even in the hardest of circumstances, even in the face of severe pain and even persecution. And, and remember this that being full of the Spirit is not just for super saints, it's for all believers, all followers in Jesus Christ. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit? You see these these Jewish leaders they they protected just strongly the doctrine of God being the one God which we call monotheism and they did that rightly so right because all the many of the nations around them believed in many gods and God said you are to believe in me as the one God but they were unwilling to humble themselves and acknowledge their understanding of scripture that taught that God is God, one God, but yet in three persons. And we see that in verse 55 and 56, an example of the one God in three persons. You see, Stephen knew his need due to his sin, and he looked constantly to Jesus as his savior. And but remember that he, like the Sanhedrin, he was, as a young Jewish boy, he grew up learning Deuteronomy 6:4, which was called the Shema. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Like the Sanhedrin, Stephen believed fully that there was only one God, but unlike the Sanhedrin, he humbly acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah and therefore he was also God, the second person of the Godhead. He was willing to see scripture in light of his need for a savior. Do we? So so, um, Stephen believed, like many of us in this room and even online, that we believe that there is one God in three persons. But Stephen believed, again, that Jesus was that second person of the Godhood. And he preached that Jesus alone was the judge and defender, and this cost him his life. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, used often in Daniel, in a term for the Messiah there, standing at the right hand of God. Earlier in the book of Acts, Acts 1-9, we know that Jesus ascended into heaven. And in Hebrews 1-3, it says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember that... that that sitting position designated that Jesus had finished all the work of salvation. But here, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and yet he is standing. Why? Well, it could be a couple reasons. First of all, he may be standing to honor Stephen as he enters heaven as the first martyr of the church. But also, and likely, He is standing because in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 13, it says, God stands to judge the people. There in Isaiah chapter 3, we get a glimpse of looking forward to the end of history where Jesus, who is God, will stand up from his seated position in heaven, and he will come to this world to judge it. And at that time, every person who trusts in him and his work will be saved. And those who do not will be condemned to eternal punishment. You see, are you trusting Jesus as your judge, as your defender? You know, it's so easy to to become the judge ourselves, isn't it? You know, it's maybe you judge people for the way they dress or the way they talk or even their Netflix choices. It's easy for us, you and me, to put ourselves in the place of the judge and not trust Jesus as the judge. But Stephen trusted Jesus alone to be judge and defender. In his heart, he continually looked to Jesus as God and Savior. And he knew, remember who he was speaking to, he knew by teaching this and preaching this that this would fall onto dead and defiant ears. You know, Late, much later in church history, or in, around World War II, there was uh, the German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and maybe you've read the excellent biography of Bonhoeffer by Eric McTaxis, And it talks about uh, about... <laughs> Bonhoeffer and his continually preaching God's word is he is, the, he is the way, he is the judge, he is the defender, he's the one you need to rely on. And the, the Nazi regime said, tried to quiet him. Well, at some point in his life, uh, Bonhoeffer went over to, uh, came over here to America from Germany and preached at churches. And he was very popular in those days. He could have stayed here But at the heat of the Nazi persecution of Christians in the churches, Bonhoeffer made the deliberate decision to go back to Germany to preach the gospel of Jesus, knowing he would probably die for it. And he was arrested. And on April 9th, 1945, he was hung by the neck and was martyred. You know... Who does that? Where do you get that courage from? I mean, how can we, how can we in our life, when we face pain or even persecution, how can we hold up? Do we know God is our defender? And are you unafraid to go before him as your judge? You know, um, it's true that all of us at the end of history, we're going to stand before God and He's going to ask us a question like this. Why should I let you into my heaven? What will your answer be? Is it, hey, I did great stuff. I worked really hard for you, God. Compared to others, I did okay. Or is it, God... You know, woe is me. I've, I'm sinned, but yet your work has saved me. Jesus is my rescuer. You see, God alone is our judge and defender. And, and do we believe that? And do your actions reflect that you are looking to Jesus you see, religion seeks to silence its opposition. Verses 57 says this, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know, it's likely a crowd is gathered with a Sanhedrin now. And together... <laughs> They've plugged their ears and it says that they cried out with a loud voice and rushed him together. Verse 55. You know, why did they they do this? According to the Jewish thinking and the law, there could only be one God and Jesus was not him. And now they had substantial evidence that Stephen had fallen into blasphemy. Verse 56. So they sought to snuff him out. And they picked up stones and illegally, without Rome's permission, they threw Stephen in a ditch and they pelted him with stones unto death. And then they brought his garments to to Saul. And you remember Saul, a Pharisee, may have been a part of the Sanhedrin of these 70 religious leaders. And we'll see more about Saul next week in chapters 8 one through three. You know, Saul was the greatest persecutor in the church in those days. You may know it, he was renamed Paul and became one of the greatest leaders of the church. I mean, isn't that amazing how God works, right? How can this happen? How can, God, but God can do this. He can take the chief persecutor of the church and make him into the chief preacher of the church. This is the work of God. He can change people's lives. He can change your life. He will change your life as you trust him. You see, religion seeks to silence its opposition. But Christians are forgiving and full of peace, even in persecution. Look how different Stephen's response is to these religious leaders in verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Like the Sanhedrin, Stephen Cried out in a loud voice, but unlike him, them, his cry was a prayer of forgiveness to his murderers. You know, one of the greatest witnesses we find in all of history is this this sermon that Stephen shares with us from God's Word in chapter 7. But also equally as powerful is the way he died. Do you see that? He forgives his murderers with words very similar to the last words of Jesus. You remember that on the cross, we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus forgave his murderers and we are all a part of that because of our sin that sent him to the cross. And Jesus cried out in Luke 23, 34. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And chapter seven concludes this way. Notice it. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, how could this be? He fell asleep? I mean, do you know what stoning does to a person? It's cruel, it's bloody, it's brutal, it's vicious. And though on the outside, all of those marks had to be true of Stephen and his body, on the inside, Scripture says that God filled him with such, of his presence, that he was like he was asleep at peace. And in any and every hard situation that we face in our lives, in the hardest of moments, (laughs) Philippians 4, 7 says and describes that God can give us a peace that surpasses understanding inside of us as if we are resting, as if we have fallen asleep. You see, here with Stephen, there's no raging, there's no alarm, there's no panic because Stephen looked to Jesus and experienced a peace of his soul and body as a result of God's work alone, how can you forgive? How can you have peace in the face of persecution and pain and even death? Church, look to Jesus. Look to him by faith. Rely on him and his work. And he promises he will be with you every moment of your life. Amen. We just have the pleasure now of having uh, our brother and fellow member at the Vine, Vawanu Gandanu, um, to come share with us um, just a testimony about what's happened in recently in Nigeria. <coughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> Those hugs don't work. <laughs> and uh, so, Vawanu, uh, you know, I know recently in Nigeria, it's, there's been a lot of persecution and even death. Can you just describe for us, being from Nigeria with you and your family, that, uh, you know, what's going on and just tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Good morning, church. Uh, thanks for Allow me to share this. Um, So going back in Nigeria, um, we usually get this request coming in from South Sudan, which is um, northern part of Africa, to pray for fellow Christians out there. And we'll take all this prayer request, we'll pray about it, and life continues. And um, then we started getting that same request from Nigerians asking to pray for them for getting attacked, um, you have these folks going on a Sunday, burn their churches up, chase them out of church. And whenever we get this request again, we'll say a prayer for them. Um, that's pretty much the only thing they will ask for, um, for God to give them the strength to go through those, those um, persecutions. So it really didn't sink in until um, about a month ago, May the 12th. Um, about six p.m., I got this text message on my phone, and um, it was a young girl. She was twenty-one-year-old college student, a Christian, um, that was accused of blasphemy um, by a fellow student, and um, she was grabbed, um, beaten, and um, stoned, and finally, the rapid tires around her and lit on fire. So I saw this video and I, this is what the text says, see what they're doing to us. And immediately there's a rush of emotion to respond, to get angry. Um, but immediately I went on my knees. I knew that was my only way out. And in my office and I prayed and I got up and I, Ask myself why, what happened, um, what could be so wrong that your fellow student would do this to you because you are accused of blasphemy, insulting Prophet Muhammad. And um, the Spirit of God just started telling me it's not about what they did to her, it's about what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with what happened. And today we're sharing about this young lady um, and what's going on in Nigeria. The mom of this lady, her name is um, Deborah Samuel Yakubo. Uh, the mom when, um, actually the dad first was asked, um, if he has any comment, he has said he has no comment, that he's taking this as an act of God and um, they leave everything into God's sin. And when mom was asked if she wants justice, and um, our only response was um, prayed for the people that killed our daughter and asked for a pause like conversion uh, for our attackers. And um, when I heard those two, it sank in that this is what God is about. Um, he never promised us a day without this. He already warned us that this will happen. He already told us that he hated him first, so we're not the first. Um, But he said he'll he'll give us the Holy Spirit to encourage us and um, help us um, go through this. Um, As we're really the death of um, this young lady, um, about three weeks after a gunman came into her church, the same Sunday we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday, and um, brutally killed um, 39 people, men, women, and children. And um, you're not done with one, you're hearing the next, and between the time that I was told that I was going to to be sharing, it's like a constant barrage um, of persecutions, of people getting killed um, for just being a Christian up until yesterday. Um, So that's pretty much um, what's been going on Um, recently. I know it happens everywhere um, in the world, not just Nigeria, but that's kind of my own personal experience.
0: Vuan is a part of early prayer we pray in our office and it's awesome to pray together with you and I know out of that we we've built built a friendship and and uh, you know I know this was really hard for you to do today and you really prayed hard what the Lord that the Lord wanted you to actually do this Um, so thank you for your courage and humility to come share this testimony with us and uh, just finally and how can we pray for Nigerian Christians, Christians around the world who are being persecuted? In a few weeks, it's the you know, Church of the Martyr, the persecuted church we're going to remember, and, and maybe even your family as you think about that. How can we pray specifically?
1: So I said, as I said earlier, we are the ones that are being asked to pray for people that are getting persecuted. So now... We are the ones asking for prayers, and, and when we hear this persecution happen across um, the world, um, sometimes discouragement tends to set in. Um, when we are asked to preach the gospel, we are asked to preach it all, not to leave anything out. In the world and the days that we're living, um, you really say something that won't touch somebody in the wrong place. But that shouldn't stop us. So we're asking God to give us the boldness and the encouragement that we need to be able to speak the truth to light.
0: Thank you, brother.
1: Thank you, you Vuhano. Let me let me pray together. Lord, uh, thank
0: you for my brother and his family, and uh, we just praise you for them and their lives and their gospel. And we do pray for the church, especially in Nigeria, that you would help them for Deborah's. Parents, Lord, thank you for their God-honoring response and their forgiveness and love in the midst of the most painful moment of their lives. Lord, thank you. We pray for those families of the 39 recently who have been killed, that you'd give them help and comfort and you would allow them to, yes, not leave any of the, the gospel out, that they would boldly preach your whole word. And we praise you. We look to you in good times, and in the hardest moments of our life. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God bless you, brother. Thank you, bro.
1: Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.